everyone and welcome to Conversations of Grace. I'm Nathan Oliver. This is a podcast for Christians who want to live what they believe in light of the greatest truth of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it can bear on every part of our life. Each episode, we're exploring how to live out the gospel in the everyday stuff of life. You'll hear me chatting with experts and friends about how to understand the gospel and how to live it out. This season, we're looking at relationships and asking one big question, which is, how does the gospel transform our relationships? In this episode, I'll be chatting with Christina Hitchcock, theologian and author of the book, The Significance of Singleness. Uh, We caught up and discussed how the gospel shapes the way we understand singleness in God's kingdom. But first, some feedback from you. I'm really excited about this after our first episode. Johnny from Melbourne called in and left a voice message. Here's what he had to say. Hey, Nathan, it's Johnny here from Melbourne, Australia. Just wanted to say how much I enjoy listening to the podcast and particularly Andrew sharing about uh, how to understand the gospel. It was great hearing him uh, talk about what you can set your heart on and the fact that uh, how your heart is set can determine whether you're a giver in terms of being someone who can love and care for others or or it may determine that you end up being a taker. And I just think that's so relevant in terms of when we talk about relationships of any kind, whether it be marriage or otherwise. And just really looking forward to hearing the rest of the series. Thanks. Hey, thanks for the feedback there, Johnny. Uh, great to hear from you. And um, yeah, I I really enjoyed the conversation with Andrew Cato as well. I've had some great chats with people, uh, friends who have listened to it since then and heard it. Um, yeah, so if anyone else would like to um, call in, leave a voice message, follow the links to do that, or just write to us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, something, send us an email, find out a way you can do that, and whatever, I don't know. We'd love to hear your comments, love to hear your questions, um, so that we can connect and serve you as best we can. Um, now, moving on to today's episode again, I'm speaking with Christina Hitchcock, the author of The Significance of Singleness. It's a great book. I really enjoyed reading it. Um, Christina's got a great read on culture and a great read on church perspectives. And she speaks really well, not just to singleness as far as married or not married, but actually sexuality. And I have to say that as a married person um, hearing this conversation and, and being part of this conversation, I was really encouraged. Uh, and, it, and it really helped me think of myself as what it means to be married and the purpose of that. So this is not an episode just for single people, it's for married people too. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Yeah, there you go. I was really encouraged by this chat. I hope you will be too. Here it is. Hi, Christina. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. A little chilly, but I'm good. I'm feeling good. Now, you wrote a book about singleness, the significance of singleness, um, which is why I've asked you to come and have a chat. We are having this conversation um, as two people who are not single. Is that a fair thing to do? Well, you know, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I've been married now for 17 years, which kind of seems unbelievable to me. But I, so I have to admit, when I got married, I was 30. And I kind of wondered, have I just forfeited my right to talk about singleness? Um, and uh, and I really did struggle with that. I remember when I got married, one of my real concerns was how it would change my relationship with my single students at my college, especially my female ones, 
who I think many of them had never had a single adult who they kind of looked up to and admired. Like we have these stereotypes of single people that are always bad. Um, and, uh, and I thought, what's that going to do with my ability to talk into their lives and into their futures? Um, but I really do think this is a question for the whole church, not just for single people. And of course, anyone can become single at any moment, unfortunately, um, for a variety of reasons. And so, and I also think, of course, that the theology of singleness, which is deeply related to the theology of marriage, um, has uh, kind of tentacles that go out into other areas of theology. So we all need to be thinking about it very carefully. Uh, but of course, that said, I think people like you and I should be listening to people who are actually single um, and hearing what their real experiences are and um, and what that means for them. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Hey, just uh, just to hearing what you said right then, that the there was almost like a stigma around singleness and single people. Um, can you is is that true? Is that is that been your perspective? I, I kind of feel that at times. Yeah. Uh, I certainly think it's true, at least here in kind of in the American evangelical church, which is what the the thing that I'm most familiar with, um, that absolutely there's a there's a stigma to being single. Um, I think uh, we wonder kind of what's wrong with that person or what's wrong with the person, the people around them. Um, And we often view singleness as a problem to be solved. Um, And so most of the ministry to single people in American churches, at least, is kind of um, ministries that are meant to get single people together. So hopefully eventually they'll marry each other and then they won't have a problem anymore. Um, And I think we also tend to think of single people as not fully adult yet. Like they haven't had all the experiences necessary to being a full adult. So whether that's a sexual relationship or a spouse or children, whatever those, all those things that go along with marriage uh, we often, I think, subconsciously equate those things to being fully grown up. And so single people are kind of treated as if they're in this limbo between childhood and adulthood and can't ever quite cross over, no, no matter how old they actually are chronologically. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel that. And you bring that out well, I think, in the book. Like, I really enjoyed reading about that. This idea of maturity looks like marriage in a way. Yeah. Um, have, what's been the response to some people that when you've talked about these things or when you've shared about this, do have, have people resonated with that as they've shared with you? Yeah, I think they have. I mean, single people certainly seem to resonate with it. I mean, it's been my, it was my own experience as a single adult. And I kind of think of that as the years from when I graduated from college and I was 22 to when I got married, I was 30. So I had eight years where I was a single adult in the church. Um, and, and I think uh, single people have by and large told me, yeah, that, that is how I feel in the church. Like I haven't quite, people don't quite treat me as a full member of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's how our culture, again, American culture at large, treats people who haven't yet had sex. Um, the culture at large is not as interested in marriage, but they're very interested in sexual relationships. Uh, the church has kind of baptized sexual relationships through marriage. But the culture at large kind of views people who haven't had sex as still as as being odd or something's wrong with them or they're not quite grown up. So we get movies like The 40 Year Old Virgin and things like that, where uh, the person is is either kind of laughable or at the very least, by the end of the movie, they've had sex. So they become they kind of become fully into they've, right. they've come into their own. They've they've 
reach their destiny or whatever. And the church just kind of um, spiritualizes that or puts a spiritual gloss on it by requiring marriage uh, as the way in which we have a sexual relationship. But all those underneath assumptions, I think, are basically the same. How did how then did you get to write a book on singleness then as a married person? I hear what you're saying. Right. That you're obviously interested in the theology of it I, and yeah. then the implications for the church that come out of that. But how did you actually get to write a book on singleness? Right. Well, so so like I said, I was single for eight years as an adult in the church and, and found those eight years to be very, very interesting. Um, and in some ways different than what I expected. I did find that people were kind of always implying that something was wrong, not usually with me, but, you know, what's wrong with the men around here or something like that, that a nice girl like you isn't married yet. Um, I also, um, found that, that it was hard to find a place in the church. Like nobody quite knew what to do with me, both a single person and quite frankly, a woman. I think that was a kind of a double whammy, like, where does this person fit? Um, and so I started, and, and of course I'm, I'm a theologian. So I started thinking about it just from my own personal experiences. And even after I got married, um, I continued to think about it partly because I noticed that after I got married, uh, I really felt a shift in the way my church treated me. <laughs> um, really? It was the it was the same church. Uh, I mean, I married uh, the associate pastor of my church, so we just stayed at that church. And um, and I just note immediately noticed a shift in in like people seem to say, "Okay, now we know where you go. Like you're the associate's pastor, associate pastor's wife. Like you fit here." And so that I found equally intriguing. Like, oh, suddenly I've had this one day where I get married. And now the church feels much more comfortable with me. They kind of have a place for me. Um, oh, min, you know, doors to ministry started opening up that hadn't been open before. So that also I found intriguing and only made me want to think about this more, like what's actually going on and that uh, how, what's our theology of marriage? What's our theology of singleness? And I'm getting red flags that maybe there's a problem with both of them. Um, so I kept thinking about it. And uh, I, I also teach a, a class called Christianity and Culture, and there's a unit in there on sexuality. And uh, I started kind of thinking that the American sexual ethic um, actually is has been kind of imbibed by the church, but given this spiritual gloss that we call marriage. Um, and so I was intrigued by that relationship as well, that the church wasn't nearly as different in its sexual ethic from the from the larger culture as it wanted to claim to be. And that seemed highly problematic to me. So it was so kind of this combination of a cultural analysis, a, a theological analysis and an ecclesial analysis were coming together in a way that interested me. And uh, and I managed to get Brazos on board, which was great. Uh, and they said, yeah, write it and we'll publish it. So so I yeah. did. Right. And theological, ecclesiological, all those things, but also personal. And Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So those experiences that you had about being part of a church as a single person and then getting married and, you know, noticing a difference, these are things I think people feel all the time, aren't they? Like mm -hmm. people feel these things all the time, but they don't seem very easy to talk about. Um, and if they do, often it's at a place of hurt, you know, like it, it seems like it's hard to talk about these things. Is that, yeah. is that what you've experienced? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, I think what's, what's at issue here, um, this is my analysis of the situation, is that we're not so much talking about marriage and singleness as we're talking about sexuality. 
Um, and the way the church talks about sexuality is through marriage and singleness um, and primarily through marriage. Um, and sexuality, especially in modern Western culture, has come to be that thing in which we find our deepest identity. Um, and it's the way in which we express our full humanity. And, um, and we have attached some of the most important human experiences, uh, emotions, and, um, and kind of achievements with our sexuality uh, in a way that I think is problematic. Uh, and I'm not just talking about the church. I'm talking about Western culture in general. And so talking about sexuality becomes deeply personal and very emotional. And any disagreement can be very difficult and feel and can feel very hurtful. Um, and I think, you know, in addition to this, the church uh, hasn't doesn't have a fantastic track record of talking about sexuality. Not so much. I'm not so much referring to the Victorian kind of tight lipped. That's not the type of thing we talk about, although there's some of that. As yeah. I just think that the church hasn't developed uh, an adequate theology of sex, um, a, a theology that takes the the church as church into consideration. Um, right. So I think there's lots of reasons why why it's just a very hard topic to talk about. And I think at its basis, we d- we want we don't want to admit that we've actually kind of um, taken what the culture has told us about sexuality and taken it as our own. And that's really hard to admit for the church. Um, and until we can admit that, I don't think much is going to change. Right. Then, but within the church, we like to talk about things in black and white, good and bad, right? So, yeah. Yeah. And, and then so the, the concrete labels of married or single work for that. Are you saying that you think we'd be better off talking about sexuality rather than like or more talking about sexuality more than things like marriage or singleness? Um, I think we need to start there because I think the church, and again, I'm speaking, you know, as an American evangelical, but I think this is largely true of Western culture, um, which is not just, uh, just confined to the United States. Um, But I think that the, the church needs to recognize that its sexual ethic is not nearly as Christian as they, as we think it is, meaning it, there's nothing unique about it. Um, We, have agreed essentially to the terms of the debate with the, with the, with the modern culture. Um, we've agreed to this idea that sexuality is necessary for being kind of a full grown up and even fully human. We've agreed to the idea that, that having a sexual relationship is, um, is where we experience love most fully and most completely. And anything else is kind of substandard to that. We've agreed that a sexual relationship uh, is the thing that is most fulfilling and most needed for human beings. So we've agreed to all of that stuff from the outset. And then we just have to figure out how to kind of Christianize that. And so that's that's where marriage comes in and the emphasis on marriage. Um, but until we recognize that, I just don't think, I, I just don't think, I mean, that's the underlying theology beneath all of this. And until we recognize that, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. So I think we need to talk about that first and then talk about what that means with regard to how we think about singleness, how we think about marriage. Yeah. Okay. Well then, could I just jump into some, perhaps some more deeper things then? Because yeah. when I hear that, I think about some of the stuff I read in your book about what it means to be, like this view of what, what maturity looks like, maturity in faith and how um, marriage is often tied into that. Um, 
But the way that the Bible speaks about who we are in Christ is not dependent on our relationship status. um, Right. But on what what God has done for us through Jesus, right? Yes. There's this this identity question, this who we are because of what God's done. um, That's, and and in, in your book, that's all, that's all through it. I yeah. can't help as I, as I read that stuff. Um, I know it. I believe it one hundred percent. And but then reading it with the perspective of a single person, I feel like um, when we say that this is what validates us above all else, regardless of our, you know, if we're married or not, that means more to someone who isn't married and would like to be than someone who is married. Do you know what I mean? Like, does it feel yes. like that? I know it's not true. Our identity is exactly the same, but it feels like it means more. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Well, I, I do. I mean, I think. I mean, I I think uh, in the book I talk about um, community identity and authority, and I, and I try to talk about each of these things as single people kind of being a uh, a glimpse of of God's future for us, and so uh, what we like, you know, seeing through a glass darkly, that sort of thing. That um, that in the in the resurrection we will um, you know Jesus says that in the resurrection we w- there will be no marrying or giving in marriage but we will all be children of God right. um, and this idea that I, that I think what he's getting at there is that in the resurrection we will be we will relate to each other only in and through Christ first and foremost. So my identity is in Christ. And so how I relate to other people will then go through that. So it's not that my children will somehow not be my children in the resurrection, but rather they will first and foremost be my brother and sister in Christ. My husband won't be my husband. He'll be my brother in Christ. In other words, I I do not relate to them in some immediate human sense anymore. I relate to them in and through our shared identity in Christ. And so single people, um, I think, I think the church needs to recognize singleness as a sign of God's future for us. That they, you know, it's like when you go to see a see a you see a movie trailer, and you see something, and you're like, oh, that's what that movie's going to be about. Singleness is like a trailer. Like that's what the future is going to be about. Um, yeah. That that we find our identity fully and completely in Christ, which doesn't mean we're cut off from community, but rather that community is based on something other than our own. Than, than identity that we have in and of ourselves. It's based on identity that we have in and through Jesus Christ. And that, that Jesus promises that this community that goes first through him will be richer than anything we've experienced so far. And I know that's hard for us as human beings to imagine. Um, I think it's particularly hard for people who have happy marriages to imagine that. Um, but that's clearly what Jesus is saying, that... Um, that the community of the resurrection uh, marriage will be the palest shadow of that. Um, And in fact, singleness gives us a better glimpse of what the future resurrection community will look like. Right. Right. And I'm totally with you. I just feel like I can hear the, the voices of the single people in my head saying, well, it's easy for you to say, you know what I mean? Yes. It is easy for me to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I agree. I mean, I think what what I'm saying, and I think this is why I always want to be careful, is that 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 the reality of of what I so you know easily say right here is being lived out day in and day out by single people in the church, and it is a hard reality in many many ways. 
Uh, that's why I think it's always so funny when someone says, you know, marriage is where God sanctifies us. And, and of course, sanctification can happen in marriage. And kind of the idea that people who stay single just don't want to ever grow up and they, they just want to be selfish. And I'm like, uh, you try being celibate for 20 years and you see how much sanctifying happens. I think plenty, uh, plenty of sanctifying yeah. happens. And so this idea that singleness is kind of easy or a place to be, to kind of just focus on yourself and be self. I mean, that's crazy. Anybody who's tried to be, who's tried to be faithfully single in the kingdom of God uh, knows that it's not easy. And that doesn't mean it's not rich and it doesn't have lots of potential, but it's, you're letting go um, out of obedience and trust towards Christ of a lot of things that other people enjoy. And um, I think it makes me think of Romans eight, where Paul talks about, um, he compares the, the coming of Christ to a woman in labor and says that the birth pangs are a sign of the coming new life. And I sometimes wonder if singleness should be treated by the church as like a labor pain, a birth pang, that this is hard and you're doing some hard work for us, but it's a sign of a new, a, of new life that's coming with the return of Christ. You're a sign of the thing that's coming, but we recognize that that that, that sign is a hard sign. It can be painful. And that, that the church as church should su- support those people who are experiencing those labor pains. Right. Yeah, that's fantastic. I don't think, uh, well, maybe I have heard it talked about in that way a little bit, but I haven't felt it in the way that I just hear you say it right now. This sanctification, we often joke about that as in marriage, people joke about sanctification. Um, yeah. That marriage is God's sanctifying tool, right? And it is. It's great. It's fantastic like right. that. And it, and it is, you know, pe- people do joke about it and it's fine. Um, but I don't think I've heard, I don't think I've heard people talk about singleness as this, sanctifying tool in, in a similar way. Yeah. I, I mean, when, when I was, when I was single and, um, and, and, and I was, you know, I, and I'm talking in my book, I'm talking about singleness as, um, as a celibate singleness that, that, uh, yeah. that marriage, that sex is reserved for marriage. I certainly agree with the church on that. Um, and so, um, so, I mean, I remember when I was single, people saying, oh, it's marriage that really sanctifies you. I was like, that's just such a joke. Are you, I mean, and again, not to detract from marriage, but the idea that marriage is somehow this uh, altruistic act in which you daily kind of sacrifice self. And um, of course that can happen, but, but as opposed to singleness where you're, you're just kind of living the high life and enjoying your, your free time and your selfishness, um, you know, a faithful celibacy is hard. Um, and it requires, uh, a daily obedience and trust to Jesus that, that most people in our current Western culture say is impossible. They're wrong, but that's what they think. That's how hard it is. Yeah. Yeah. Often I think that the way we talk about singleness as the church is as though, you know, um, it provides this opportunity for, um, godly character or, or to grow in character but we mm-hmm. it kind of feels like that's that's more like the booby prize um yeah, that, that right. we miss out on the real win of a relationship right. you know we prefer that but then we get this other thing well you know yeah you know chin up you still get to grow <laughs> yeah yeah it's the consolation prize like that's exactly right <laughs> yeah well i how do you actually do that though like this whole thing about seeing our identity in Christ, that's our deepest foundation. We're future people, like you said, 
Um, we are people of the resurrection, whether we're married or we're single. It's just to just, but to sit in that, to rest in that, yeah, seems big when all of our feelings are out there. Like, I want this, I want that, I want to experience yeah. that. You know, like how did how does that become a practical thing? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Um, I mean, one of the things that really helped me when I was single is I met and I and I think I shared this in the intro or the first chapter, I can't remember which. Um, I met a woman named Flo and she was uh she was probably I was I was like 27 when I met her and she was 60-ish somewhere around there. And she had been a missionary for 30 years in the Middle East and she was super smart and super fun and super funny and really interesting. And we were team teaching a class together. And she had never been married her whole life and she didn't have any kids and and it was the first time I was like, oh, like I could be single like that. Like, because before I had just had stereotypes in my head, you know, the crazy old cat lady who like lives in an apartment and has 70 cats or, you know, who hates kids or hates men or hates, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I was like, because quite frankly, I knew very few uh, adult single people. I mean, at least two were single past the age of 30 or something like that. And when I met her, it was just like a, a breath of fresh air, like, oh, I, there's clearly nothing wrong with her. She's incredibly smart, incredibly beautiful, incredibly adventurous. And she's done amazing things in the kingdom of God. Like I, maybe I could be like that. Um, and that really um, was a big inspiration for the book where we need to know people who have done it well. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I use three people from church history to say, and, and, and of course, these people are in some ways larger than life. That's why we remember them 1,700 years later or however many. But at the same time, they're regular people. They were real people who lived real lives and had real struggles and tried to figure out what to do about those things, trusting Jesus the whole time. So I think, first of all, we just need to um, we need to let ourselves know single people. And, and and I mean, real single people who are single right now and are alive and in our midst. And we need to dive into church history and not ignore those people as as Protestants tend to do, because we associate with all sorts of things like monasticism and the priesthood. And we're terrified of that stuff. And so we ignore that stuff. And, and I think that's incredibly unwise. Um, but I also think the church really needs to make an effort. The Protestant church needs to make an effort to build structures that not only makes singleness possible, but they make it so that single people can flourish and can thrive. We have lots and lots of structures that support married and family life. And that's a good thing. But I think the church should be much more creative and intentional about creating structures that make single life um, exciting and full of potential and full of possibility. Uh, and I think that starts with recognizing the, the theological significance of singleness because then we want those people in our church and we want them to stay there and we want them to thrive. We want our children to get to know them um, so that, that so that our children can have more than one vision for their own future. Would you have any comment then on what it means to trust God, even like at a heart level, like in with these things? I have to say, like reading your book, um, thinking about being people of the resurrection like it was so kind of powerful like the vision that's cast within that uh i'm in a very happy marriage i love my family love my kids um mm -hmm. i'm very happy with that but i could it was almost like wow being single like 
that's not yeah. so bad. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, well, great. I'm so happy to hear that, that it did that for you. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, at, at weddings so often uh, it's brought up that uh, at Christian weddings that, that uh, husband and wife are kind of uh, meant to image or reflect Christ in the church. And this is set forward as a, both a duty and a privilege to Christian couples. Like, this is who you are. This is what you're doing. Your life is a sign to the world and to the church about who God is and what God is doing. And I think wedding ceremonies do that because it's meant to say when your marriage is hard or discouraging, you know, remember who you are, remember what you're doing. This is worth it. And I really think the church needs to do something, you know, needs to have sermons and that sort of thing that do the same thing for single people that say, this is who you are. This is what you're doing for the church and the world. You're, you are living out a picture of Christ's resurrection for us. And so when you feel discouraged or you feel alone, remember who you are, remember what you're doing. You're presenting a powerful theological picture to the church, which that, which the church needs. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I mean, I, I hope that that can give purpose and meaning to singleness as opposed to it just being a waiting time until you finally get to get married or something like that. Um, and I think, uh, and I think this Bible really, the scriptures really call on us to use our theological imaginations to think about God's future, to think about the, the resurrection. And, um, and I don't mean heaven. I mean, the, the resurrection, uh, the new heavens and the new earth and what life here will look like when Jesus returns and raises the dead and to, and to become excited by that and to, and to, that future informs how I live in my present. Um, at the same time, I think, you know, just from my own experience of being single, that I I do think um, that it's probably healthy and wise to recognize that, hey, I don't actually want to be single. I kind of want to get married, but it's not happening. I want to have kids, but it's not happening. And to, you know, to, to have a place for, uh, grief and lament over that. I think that's entirely appropriate, especially when we spend our whole lives thinking this thing's going to happen and hoping it's going to happen. And for whatever reason, it's not happening in our timeline. Um, so I fully recognize that most American Christians who are single aren't single because they've decided to dedicate their life to singleness. You know, they just, it just, that's just where they are and it's not where they want to be. Um, and I do tend to think that, um, that, that uh, that recognizing that grief as opposed to kind of just pushing it away or something is probably a good idea and letting ourselves feel that grief. And yet at the same time saying, I still am going to choose to trust Jesus, that he knows what he's talking about, even though the thing that he seems to be asking me to do right now, which is that he's not giving me a spouse and yet I'm supposed to remain celibate, um, that somehow this is for my good and that he wants my good. Um, I mean, that, that, that really is the, the first temptation in the garden is Satan tempts Adam and Eve to think that God is withholding something from them. And um, the, the faith, I think often at, at its uh, core is the willingness to say, I believe God is not withholding anything from me that he has my good in mind, even when it doesn't feel like that at all. And I, I, I that's a, that's a struggle. I think every Christian has to undergo yeah. at some time or another. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. That's yeah. So and Jesus bad. himself, you know, in the garden of Gethsemane, I don't want to do this. 
but mm. but if but not my will you know if if you say we should go ahead then we will go ahead and into your hands i commit my spirit mm. um i'm committing my whole life to you even though what's happening right now doesn't make sense and doesn't feel good mm-hmm. yeah and that's right. super hard and i think we should recognize that yeah Super hard, but at the same time, I, I'm super encouraged by that. You know, I, I feel like that's really what faith in Christ is. You know, like that's what it means to trust in his goodness and the fact that it's not trusting, hoping that he will be good, but knowing that he is good so I can trust in it. I love yeah. that. It's so encouraging. Yeah. 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 And Thank, then, and then as, associating that with this idea that, that in my singleness, God is letting me be a picture of his future for the church. Like, Hopefully that feels exciting. Like I'm God is using me to tell the church what he has planned for all of us in his future, in his very good future. Yeah, it's good. Now these conversations about singleness, there's always a point where the church becomes a very important place, right? Because the church becomes for when we're talking about singleness, the church is either it needs to it needs to offer a way for single people to be lifted up. Like we need to have structures and things um, to be yeah. able to, you know, help. Um, yeah. Or it, it becomes what we say, which, which is what the Bible says, the family of God. Like this is what it is. Right. This, right. Is, a, this is a robust belief in the role of the church as family. Yes. How, uh, my experience is church isn't that for us in a lot of ways. Um, yes. but it, I'm not saying it can't be. I'm saying it should. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I, so, you know, one of the one of the women in the book is Macrina, who was um, uh, a fourth century monastic, for lack of a better word. That's kind of uh, yeah. the word wasn't being used then, but that's essentially what she was. Yeah. And the idea that that um, that she dedicates herself to celibacy um, and out of that grows an extraordinary community. I mean, we have a sense that being celibate means being alone. That's why we're all so afraid of it and rightly so, but it's because we live the Western culture. Western culture is such an individualized and privatized society that the only way to not be alone is to forge individual private relationships that are completely voluntary. Uh, and that's why we have to forge these sexual relationships. That's why we feel we have to. And of course, those get solidified in marriage. Two people make vows with each other and then they have children. And the hope is that those children will create relationships that don't go away, um, that are permanent. So we're looking for that sense of permanency in a culture that is privatized and, and voluntaristic. So it's very hard to come by those things. And we've decided essentially that that sexual relationships um, are the primary way in which we gain the relationships we want, either with a romantic partner or as a way of creating children who we will then have a permanent relationship with. Um, yeah. and, and that just cuts the church out entirely. Um, and yet we fully, we've, again, I think the Western church has fully imbibed this. And so Western churches are designed with the nuclear family at its center instead of, right. And, and so the, the church revolves around the nuclear family instead of the nuclear family revolving around the church. Right. And yeah. I, I think this is a huge mistake. I think, uh, and I think what Macrina and others teach us is that the church is our first family. 
um, there won't be any marriage in the resurrection, but the church will go on into the resurrection. The church is the only human institution that will be raised from the dead. My marriage won't be resurrected, but the church will be resurrected. And so that is our, that is our first family. That is our permanent family. Um, and so that is the, that is the, the family of the future, so to speak. And, yeah. and the church needs to take that role much more seriously, because I think right now what the church is essentially saying is, you know, at least churches that, that still believe in celibacy is kind of saying, Hey, you're single. You can't have sex. Good luck with that. See yeah. you on Sunday. As opposed to saying, Oh, you're single. You're not supposed to have sex. I'm so happy you're taking that seriously. How can the church support you in this, in your, in your willingness to be obedient to Christ? How can the church help you uh, find, can, how can the church be your family and your community? Um, because you are trusting and obeying Christ in this, as opposed to, you know, here's the rule, follow it. And, uh, and you're on your own, yeah. uh, which is how Western culture tends to do it. Yeah. Well, so the church that I lead, the church that I'm part of is just full of young families. Like, like it's almost only young families. It's not, but it's almost yeah. right. And the yeah. effect that has on people who don't fit that demographic, uh, it's a turnoff. It's yeah. a big turnoff. Yeah. It's a huge contraceptive at the same time <laughs> because it's messy <laughs> and we see a lot of real life going on. Uh, it's yeah. unavoidable. Um, but, yeah. but it's also I, I, it's also hard for people who aren't in that place in life um, to come and be part of that. Like, uh, let's just... A difficult thing. Yeah. What needs to happen in the heart of believers, um, both on either sides of that fence, in order to kind of yeah. live out this biblical perspective of family? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I mean, I really think churches need to think creatively and theologically about this. I mean, I think one place uh, it can start is just that married couples and families should really intentionally become friends with single people. And I don't just mean people in the church, but just wherever they find them and, and really draw them into their families and make them a kind of a natural part of that. Um, my first year of teaching, I taught at a different school, a, a school in Iowa, and I was single and I, I met another new professor there, he and his wife. And um, about the, the second week of school, he invited me one afternoon to come home for lunch with him and his family. And I did. And it was they had three little kids. Uh, it was very nice. And um, and after that, they said, hey, why don't you just come over for lunch every Tuesday afternoon? And it wasn't a big deal. It was very it was very laid back. And, you know, we had like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and that sort of thing. But they basically were saying, hey, do you want to be a part of our our life on a regular basis in a way that isn't super formal and requires, yeah. you know, invitations and that sort of That's thing. Right. Yeah. And that was a really life-changing moment for me because I mean, that year was, cause I was like, Oh, this is what it looks like to be a part of a family that isn't my nuclear family. Right. And that they treated me like a regular person who they were interested in and had fun with. They wanted me to get to know their kids. They, they, uh, they trusted their kids with me. Um, and it was just really wonderful and nice. And, um, and they didn't, seemed to think it was weird that I wasn't married. Um, they weren't trying to fix me up with someone. Um, and so I think so often once we get, in, get start dating or get married and having kids, the human nature is just 
birds of a feather flock together, right? So whatever kind of stage of life we're in, we gravitate towards those people. And the church, the church should do do it differently. The church should, I mean, in so many ways, not just with singleness, but in so many, many areas, we should yeah. um, be more uh, more willing to step out. But I, I mean, I think just what would it be look like for for married couples and for families to be much more intentional about drawing single people into their regular life? Um, and then, you know, for the church to 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 really start you know, I think this needs to be talked about from the pulpit. We should have sermons on First Corinthians 7 that don't that don't talk about the gift of singleness as this rare right. gift that everybody hopes they don't get. <laughs> um, kind of like a terminal disease or something. Yeah. Um, you know, we should talk about singleness with with a robust theology that that holds singleness up as something to be valued and to be admired and honored um, and not to be afraid of. Um, you know, we should be able to teach our own children that if they don't get married, that's going to be okay. Um, it's a combination of things, but I think the church really needs to use its creativity and its theological imagination to think about what this looks like on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. But what I love about what you just said before is that your view of the church changed by entering someone's home, not by turning up on Mm -hmm. a Sunday. I think that's right. Beautiful. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like that to me says so much about what I read in the Bible about what the church is, you know, mm-hmm. and, and but it's that shift of our perception of what church should be from yeah. it's this thing I go to on a Sunday um, versus uh, no, it's these people that I'm a part of. That's a big jump. Yeah. It's a big jump. Yeah. But one that exactly. you're saying, the, the way you described it, it was just lovely. It was, I feel like that's the sort of community everyone's looking for where we're accepted yeah. regardless of our position and place and all of that. Like we're just brought in yeah. and welcome. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Really great. Um, now it's, I, I really love chatting with you. It's fantastic. Um, Thank you. Uh, just to finish off, do you have any word of encouragement for someone who might be struggling with being single um, from anything that we've talked about or that yeah, you have I mean, that's, that's a great question. I mean, I, you know, these types of questions always make me so hesitant because I do sometimes feel like single people say, well, that's easy for you to say. And it is. Um, I mean, I think uh, just a place of great encouragement is to, is to, again, think about God's future and, and, and who you are in Christ. But I find really wonderful encouragement um, just in the, the saints from the history of the church who there's a rich tradition of singleness in the history of the church. And I, especially as a single person, but still as a married person, find it very encouraging to read about those people. Um, their, their, both their ordinariness and their real courage and willingness to step out in faith and trust and how God in used, not just them, but used them as single people to do amazing things in his kingdom. And it doesn't mean every single one of us is going to be famous and go down in the history books, but it means that God sees you and knows that you, that you are valuable to his kingdom. Um, because to be frank, Jesus loves you, not because some, not because some human loves you, um, and has decided to marry you or have sex with you. (laughs) Um, but, but God sees you and God values you and God has a very important place in his kingdom for you as as a single person, not just as someone who hopefully will get married someday. 
That's great. That's fantastic. Thanks so much. And yeah. um, Christina, if people want to find your book, how do they do that? Uh, they can read more. Yep. Oh, yeah, that would be fantastic. Well, my book is called The Significance of Singleness, and you can get it on Amazon um, at probably bookstores as well, but maybe nobody's going to bookstores these days. So Amazon is a great place to get it. Uh, it's published by Brazos. So you can also, of course, go to, uh, which is a division of Baker Book. So you can get it there as well. All right. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. I've really appreciated and enjoyed chatting with you. That's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it as well. There you go. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Uh, you've been listening to Conversations of Grace. Uh, don't forget, subscribe on wherever you listen to podcasts. Send us a message. Ask us a question. Uh, in fact, leave us a voice message. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, yeah, hope you enjoy. Bye. Conversations of Grace is brought to you by The Church Next Door in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to find out more, go to www.tcnd.com.au.